0: ESNY
1: That was uh that was the Emerald Isle. Oh, it was amazing. It was... Yeah, it looked like he had a good time. It, yeah, it's incredible. Like, Dublin is not that, like, great of a place. It's just any other city. Um, so, if you plan on going – I don't – have you been before? Uh, no. no. I have not, never. So, if you plan on going, uh, don't spend a lot of time in Dublin. Um, but, like, if you head out west, that's where the the real magic is. Is Dublin, is Dublin just kind of, like a, like, a rough area, like, not a lot to do there? Or – no, it's. I mean, like it's. It's just a city. It's like Philadelphia. It's gotcha. like Boston. Uh, you know, you've like, seen one, you've seen them all. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Anyway, hi folks. This is a uh, Bleacher Creatures Yankees podcast. Uh, it is episode what episode number yet? Yeah, episode one thirty six, part of uh, Elite Sports NY XL Media Crossing Broad Warwick Gaming, and as always, Rivercrest NYC uh Alec and I are here to do a very brief episode um you know the Yankees they're still in the all-star break got a doubleheader against Houston tomorrow uh countered two rough games against the Reds with two two out of three against the Red Sox which were just a lot of fun to watch
1: <laughs> it's like oh, uh yeah. you know,
0: they were kind of raging at, at the extra ratings last Friday like ah, oh, like we're sick of this guy sick of that guy and then all of a sudden look what happens
1: yeah yeah they, they heard That's us little... complaining yeah per usual
0: but, uh, we are not here to mull over what should happen in the second half, like who what should happen with the trade deadline, although there'll be plenty of talk for that next week. Right now, we talk about the captain
1: <laughs> uh,
0: so episode one aired right after the home run, Derby. Alec, real quick, just what'd you think?
1: uh yeah, like i'm I'm hooked already
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> so um it's it's interesting because I feel like it targets successfully two different generations. It targets All right. your generation where you were like, what like you were young at the time when yeah. like those late eighties struggles were happening.
0: Well, yeah. I mean like there, cause if, if we're going to go to 92 when Jeter was drafted, I mean, if, if I'm really going to show my age, I was six years old then. Uh, but at the same time I wasn't really following baseball yet.
1: So, right, okay. All yeah,
0: right. so pretty much, like, yeah, I, I kind of caught wind of the Yankees. My first my first Yankee game was Jim Abbott's no-hitter, September 93. Kind of caught, caught wind, like how baseball worked and how the season was structured. in The strike season, 94, uh, during which I became vaguely aware who Derek Jeter was. But then my first season following it, start to finish, that was 95.
1: Okay, gotcha. gotcha. So
0: this this was really hitting me, like, yep, right when I'm coming of age as a baseball fan.
1: Right, right. And so, you know, I was sitting there, and like, my one of my dad's favorite players are Don Mattingly, and I he's told me several stories about, you know, the dark times, uh, you know, when when Steinbrenner run wild. Yeah, Steinbrenner was going crazy. Um, so it was really interesting seeing that dynamic on the screen, and and like that whole segment would. Uh, was it Dave Winfield that uh, yeah, where, uh, he met Dave Winfield outside Tiger Stadium? Yeah, like like that I had no idea ever happened. Um, but then also just like hearing about the contract dispute or the money being withheld and and I think I vaguely knew that Steinbrenner had like a personal investigator on Winfield. Um, uh, yeah, so the the story they didn't tell about the about the money being withheld is
0: that it wasn't they weren't withholding salary from Winfield. Mm. Uh, there was a clause in Winfield's contract that the Yankees organization, I think either in Steinbrenner's name or just in the organization's name, had to donate a certain amount per year to Winfield's charity,
1: and they weren't doing that. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, because I mean, like I, I, I became a Yankee fan. You see, I was, like I was born in '94, so I think probably my earliest memories are probably around like '98, '99, going yeah. to a game um so like Derek Jeter at that point we like already knew how great he was uh but like that build up into the moment he got drafted and I like I knew some of his minor league stories from like reading his biography and stuff but just seeing that Mm -hmm. kind of bridge the gap between like a generation that's a little bit older than me and then like also syncing up to the stories that my dad would tell me and then everything that I know from his career up to this point, I thought was really cool.
0: I'm real curious to hear your perspective on this. So, the, the meat of the first episode, as we're all uh, well aware by this point, it's not so much about Derek Jeter, the baseball player. It's about Derek Jeter, where he comes from, growing up in Michigan uh, to a mom from New Jersey whose who's, uh, mother herself was a huge Yankees fan. Mm-hmm. He's going out, he's, Derek Jeter's born in New Jersey. A yeah. lot of people don't realize. Um, but let's talk about him getting drafted in 1992, sixth overall, he's told he's going either first or fifth, you played high school and college ball pro and you've mentioned against some guys who did ultimately go pro. So j- just take us through like that process of, Hey, you're an amateur, like, as you probably saw this going from high school to college, you're playing real well. And then all of a sudden you go up a level and it's a rude awakening.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah it's yeah, I think Derek kind of said it perfectly and you know it's such a you you have to learn to deal with the failure for the first time that you've probably mm-hmm. never dealt with before um and ultimately
0: and for what it's worth failure kind of smacked him in the face with a shovel
1: yeah yeah I did I was actually interested and I looked at his numbers uh was it yesterday yeah I think I looked at his first year it's like oh man oh no we were talking about uh, a good friend of the podcast cam was talking yeah. about like the prospects that brian cashman has like held on to and how that's can be regrettable and i was like oh well i wonder what would happen if like steinbrenner forced a trade of jeter after his first you know year he almost tra- he almost forced a trade oh no that was the mariano rivera trade yeah 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 okay um so no but like you, you gotta think about it from like that perspective too where for derek you know he climbs his way up the amateur leaderboards when it like in high school in Michigan yeah gets drafted sixth overall and is uh i forget where he reported to Did he report to Florida uh, n- no
0: he uh first reported yeah yeah he went to uh to Tampa then I think to I think it was it was then Greensboro was the high A team. Yeah. And and so yeah.
1: you know, he he's you know, all in a strange place that he's not used to where it's hot all the time. He's playing against, you know, kids who are as hungry as he is, who probably resent him a little bit because of his draft pedigree. It's like, yeah, that shit's going to be hard. Like is there a, th- is there a lot of jealousy when it comes to draft pedigree? uh well i mean like i i think andy pettit said it himself in the in the uh i think andy and uh jorge said it in the in the um documentary that they they looked at him and were kind of like all right like who's this hot shot you know first pick um <clears throat> from like my perspective, from the guys I, I would play against, like, no, but that, also I wasn't getting drafted. So I wasn't jealous of them. I could just be like, Hey, that's cool. That dude got picked up in the first round.
0: It's strange. Um, it's strange because like, maybe, I, maybe I'm just that naive to, the, to how the scene actually works. Cause like, if I, cause if I'm on a minor league team, yeah, it's competitive. Yeah. Like drafted or not, I'm looking at someone coming in. Oh, first round pick. Great. This guy's going to help us win a few games.
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, I wonder if how many people are just looking at those tours in the minor leagues. It's just like stepping stones. It's like, at, I don't want, like, like they might not be as invested at, like, single A Tampa as, like, oh, I wanted the team to be successful here. It's like, no, no I need to be true. successful. I need to prove that I don't belong here. I should be moving up.
0: Well, not to mention, people don't realize Posada came up as an infielder, so maybe he saw yeah. some extra competition.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. Even more
0: um, even more fascinating though, Alec, and I and I know you you definitely saw this as well, just the process of how the Yankees got into a position to get Derek Jeter. Like Steinbrenner, he's banned for a couple of years. Gene Michael takes over and pretty much resets the front office. Yeah. Uh, and you, you gotta make the argument, okay, maybe Steinbrenner <clears throat> wouldn't have drafted Derek Jeter. Maybe he would have drafted him and
1: then traded him, like you said earlier. Yeah, I mean it it was kind of like a perfect storm. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's funny. I love watching these uh, documentaries, whether it's sports related or history related. And it's like, there's just one little thing that could have altered the complete timeline that we know. Right. You know, like, yeah. If Steinbrenner doesn't get suspended as you just said, or if, uh, you know, or if he, like, or, or if he goes first to the Astros. Yeah. If he goes first to the Astros or, or like, you know,
0: or fifth to the Reds. I mean, just imagine Derek Jeter in a Reds uniform. Like they're saying, "Oh, he's he's going to succeed Barry Larkin." And yeah. Then Barry Larkin, who succeeded Dave Concepcion, probably one of the greatest defensive shortstops of our time. Yeah. Where or go to the Astros, where he would have had a great second base partner in Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell as his first baseman.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I love the story about how the Astros scout is like, uh, well, who was it, Hal Newhouser? Yeah. So like his exact words, Derek Jeter is going to be a centerpiece of championship for years to come. Astros like say like, okay, great, we're going to draft Bill Nevin, and then the guy just retires.
1: Well, see, like I yeah, I knew that story, but I I did I, did I know didn't that re- story I knew that story, but I didn't realize it was Hal Newhouser. Oh, so so when I was watching, I was like, oh, that was that was Newhouser, okay. But yeah, I've heard that story before. Where yeah, <laughs>
0: also also like. I, I remember like, just in the, there listing all the guys who were drafted ahead of him. Uh, Jeffrey Hammond's the uh, longtime uh, Orioles and mm-hmm. Brewers outfielder. I remember Jeffrey Hammond's playing time very specifically. I do not remember that he was drafted out of Stanford. I
1: mean, that, yeah. was, that so was a few years the, before me. <laughs> check, so. out
0: the, check out the big brain on Hammond's. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, on the whole, I'm like, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was kind of my, my one criticism of the episode is that it's very, very New York specific. Mm-hmm. Like you could show you could show this this episode to let's say a Cubs fan or or any other non-Yankees fan, it's not gonna hit the same way as it does for a New Yorker.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you compare it to you know the Michael Jordan series you know it's Michael Dorn we're talking about who is one of the greatest of all time and you know there's the argument you can make about Derek Jeter was he overrated was he properly rated was he underrated and like you know whatever um but I feel like I feel like he was such a, a cultural icon yeah not just in the 90s, but, like, in the mid-2000s when everyone started obsessing over his personal life, the fallout with A-Rod, all yeah, that stuff. Th-
0: those are apparently two separate episodes. One's an A-Rod episode, one's the tabloid episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um I, I just don't understand how – if you're a true baseball fan and not just some casual local supporter, if you actually truly – Love baseball, like how do you not watch this? Because because in some way, shape, or form, you have an opinion of Derek Jeter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I remember just um because we were visiting my big sister when it aired, and she didn't watch it with me, but we were like we were reminiscing about talking to, talking to our old man who about and defending Derek Jeter back <laughs> back in like the nineties, early mid two thousands, because he, he's an old school Pirates fan, and he and he for a long time probably still does today. He said, if Derek Jeter makes the Hall of Fame, it's only going to be because he he plays for a million years. To which I'm going to go the Michael K route and say, okay, so why should he be punished for being durable to play long enough? Yeah. Like, why is it? Okay, it's it's not like he played for 20 years and was good for, let's say, 10 of them, and and then the last 10, he just kind of bounced around, like was just competitive enough. No, up until the last two, three years of his career, Derek Jeter played at a very high level.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Look, look, look at his uh, the season where he. Hit, where I was reading some old articles I, I wrote about him back in, uh, uh, last year, in the lead up to him getting into Cooperstown, and his uh, three thousand hit game.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, he was having a very modest season going into that game, but then not only does he have five hits in that game, from that game on up through the rest of the season, and, and this was in July, he hit three thirty eight. Yeah, and he, and he was and he was thirty eight at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean. I yeah it, it's weird how people try to knock down his legacy because he wasn't as prolific as like an A-Rod type hitter or right like my one thing I that drives me insane is like if he was playing in like you know if he had been drafted by Cincinnati would he be Derek Jeter as we remember him today and it's like well that doesn't matter because here let's play a little game Derek Jeter, Mike Trout, purely as players and talent, who do you take? Between the two of them? Between the two of them.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with Derek Jeter, but here's why. Okay. Mike Trout, he's very talented. Mm-hmm. Five tool player. He's, I, I'd argue, he's. I don't know if he's the best player in baseball anymore, but he's still definitely a top five to top ten player. Yeah, but one thing Mike Trout doesn't have that Derek Jeter has, and we saw this in episode one, was that drive to win, that yeah. killer instinct. Mike Trout's there to play baseball. Derek Jeter is there to win,
1: well, to compete. And and that's going to lead me to my next point. Like I think in a vacuum, if you take a look at the two players, like I would probably say Mike Trout, right? Just yeah, talent, talent. and just the way they are, uh, the way they are as players. But now let's take the Derek Jeter we know and the the mike trout that we know who has had a bigger impact jeter and it's not even close exactly so how so like why are we blaming him for being drafted by the yankees and being on the yankees for 20 plus years when it's like oh if he if he was on a different team he'd be a nobody mike trout hasn't done anything in his career he's not a nobody but he definitely doesn't have as big of an impact as jeter like
0: at the end of the day and now granted, like he's probably going to hit a lot more milestones with this guy, but I look at Mike Trout and I think we're going to look back at him and reminisce it, reminisce it about him more like we do like an Andre Dawson type or, hmm. a Fra- or a Frank Thomas, someone who yeah, was really good play and was the best their position for a time. But in terms of their overarching legacy, they're going to, they're going to wind up being looked at as really, really, really good as opposed to an all time great.
1: Yeah, um I like mean, it 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 depends I think on like durability. Like you said Mike yeah. oh, is je- in the Hall of Fame because he played however long. It's like, yeah, but the best ability is availability or durability. It's, and that, you know,
0: and not just that. You talk about how Mike Trout we've we've talked about how Mike Trout can't hit a high pitch, can't hit an inside pitch. Yeah. Derek Jeter, by comparison, yeah, he didn't have a lot of power, but he he was like me when I was a high school ball player. He he, like, had this tenacity in the box where, while he didn't necessarily light up the box or a way uh, that an A-Rod would or that a Ken Griffith Jr. would or a Greg Vaughn, any of those power-hitting contemporaries, he was going to find a way to get on base. Yeah,
1: like, absolutely.
0: He was, like, almost like hero before Ichiro.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, and you hear, like, uh, you know, there's that famous quote that A-Rod said that caused the falling out where it's, like, opposing pitchers don't circle Jeter's name in the lineup when you got a team of like the Tino Martinez's the Bernies and the Paul O'Neill's and stuff um and you know what like it, it that's always fascinated me because I think you look at the bulk of Jeter's career especially during that dynasty it's like he was both a tone setter and a role player in that lineup
0: yeah because I, I, I remember just from the 96 season that we're really throwing it back here I remember he some days he he batted leadoff or second and then like for like a couple of games he batted ninth yeah and then still somehow won the american league rookie of the year now granted like over the course of of those prime years those prime core four years we saw him bat at the top of the lineup a lot more often but you're absolutely right that he was more of a role player just to sort of get himself on
1: base or just advance runners so that your guy Paul O'Neill could come up and get that hit exactly. Or and Bernie then Williams, and then he transitioned into the guy who was getting the hit, and he might not have been getting it often as some of the great contemporary power hitters he had. But I mean, like you think about what he did in the two thousand World Series, you think about what he did in the two thousand and one World Series. Like the dude ended up becoming as clutch as anyone. But well, he was.
0: I don't. I don't think it was necessary that he became the one getting the hit. He he. He always had um a that clutch gene
1: that yeah, we about cool, all yeah.
0: often. But I, I think that yeah, um over the course of his career, uh you mentioned tone setter and role player. I think as this career wore on, he became less of that role player and more of that tone setter. Because like just look at him being named the captain.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um and yeah, I I think you hear David Cohn talk about it a lot too. It's just like how he becomes that guy in the locker room. And I'm like I I, I hate how people can't have any nuance nowadays and can't be like, hey, was Jeter the best of all time? No, probably not. Was he really, really freaking good? Yeah, yeah he was. And he deserves the attention that he got. He deserves the accolades and the praise. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be like, oh, he's an overrated, you know, shitty ball player. It's like, because he's not. He's this not. documentary
0: alone, man, I swear. I'm I'm about to become like the you're probably in the spell with me too. I'm about to become the most obnoxious Derek Jeter fan. <laughs> I'm just going to like blind, blindly defend him. Oh, like all these, gold, all these gold gloves, but actually terrible fielder. Yeah, whatever. He still has it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You can't take those away. Yeah. Like,
0: nope. 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 He's, he's a gold glover. You can't
1: take it away from him. It's 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 the same thing. It was like when everyone's like, oh, Babe Ruth could never touch pitching in today's game. Yeah. No shit. He couldn't. That doesn't mean he sucks. Did, didn't Babe
0: Ruth also use like a 40 ounce bat? Dude really used, dude it? use like a log.
1: Like <laughs> like like I I it it was like a mix Jack. seriously but it, it's again it's like it's oh and, and backtracking quickly about when we were I was looking at um we were having the conversation about Yankees prospects and uh I was looking at Jeter's first year. I see people on like Twitter talking mad shit about Jason Dominguez and how he's like a bust or like Volpe's a bust. And it's like, and I I get some of it's like, just fans of rival teams, just kind of willing, like willingly baiting and trolling Yankee fans. But it's just like, we have this impatience of these kids who are away from home for the first time, who are navigating, not just a professional athlete's life but just being an adult an adult and it's just yeah. like like guys everyone needs to chill everyone needs to chill yeah that's a bit of a tangent i'm but that, that was a thought that occurred to me no worries but yesterday. how about some,
0: how about some of the guys that got to be interviewed for the for oh uh, i love it just in the first episode like we, we had cone yeah we saw joel sherman we saw,
1: uh, we saw pettit we saw mattingly we saw you know uh we saw Tino. We saw um, Posada. Showalter. Yeah. Oh. Also, I just want to say, like, I, this sh- I'm starting to really like B- Buck Showalter. Like, but Buck's always been a great guy. Well, yeah, but like you know, I again, his role in New York was before my time, and the right. bulk of my like vision of him is on really struggling Baltimore teams. Yeah. So, and and he always seemed like a bit of a curmudgeon to me because I just remember him getting in heated, you know, arguments with umpires and getting ejected. Uh, So when I, you know, he's, he's had a nice career revival with the Mets this year. And, uh, but like kind of, I guess I never really appreciated how much of a baseball mind he, like he has. Can can I I I tell
0: you a really funny shoulder story real quick? Yeah. So, 95, the Yankees are playing the Angels in this home game. Chuck Finley's on the mound who just – oh, God. <laughs> in the 90s, you're a little young to remember. But there was a time and, – and you saw some of this uh, in the early aughts too. But I swear, man, mid-late 90s, there was something about the Angels. The Yankees could not touch them. Mm-hmm. Like, the the Angels would be, like, a non-playoff team and they, they would just give the Yankees fits. And Chuck Finley, who was – not a bad pitcher, but not a great pitcher. I think I think by today's standards, he'd be maybe like a high end two, or like or like a low to mid end two. He this guy would come pitch against the Yankees, and he would look like Roger Clemens. <laughs> and this this one game, he's just shutting the Yankees down. He's hitting all his pitches. He's doing well in the field. And on one ground out, um, O'Neill thought that he beat it out. He like slammed the helmet, got kicked out of the game, and and Bucks out there defending him like what's going what's going what's going on. And Buck got ejected, but the umpire instead of doing the whole like you're out, they're just kind of wagging his finger like you're out, and, <laughs> and Buck just just stood there like like stunned. Like oh that was the most like subtle passive aggressive ejection ever. He just kind of walked off the field.
1: How about about that clip of uh, Jeter in the minor leagues getting in the umpire's face? Oh, I I, I was like, Oh, hello. (laughs) Well,
0: that's, I think in a weird way, I like, that's what I appreciated most about this episode is that it really does peel back the layer of of the usually stoic Jeter who we saw, who like, I remember watching interviews with him as a player, uh, he got more stoic as time wore on, kind yeah. of like got more quiet in his old age. But, but even before that, I remember one interview he did where he smiled and it was with Keith Olbermann for Fox and the Yankees were in the midst of another great season, fresh off, I think, 98. So maybe he was just in a good mood.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: to hear like, yeah, failing in the minors and making 56 errors, that sucked. I I went home and cried every night. I called my parents, asked about returning the signing bonus. Yeah. Even just hearing about how his family had to deal with that sort of casual backhanded uh, Midwestern racism growing yeah. up in Michigan, just because they're a, they're a mixed race family. Yeah. I guess. That, like, yeah. Go ahead. You were saying. No. No.
1: Like I, I think we are going to see a whole different dynamic to you know, the figure that is Derek Jeter and, and he's going to be humanized to an extent that I don't think a lot of baseball fans outside of New York and probably even inside New York could give credit to like, you know, at the end of the day, this is a dude who has gone through stuff that we can't even imagine. And to come out with grace and be as successful as he is like, man, like I, I, and we always hear about his parents all the time. It's like it yeah. kind of feels like you know they're everyone. Like if if you're a Yankee fan and a Jeter fan, you feel like his parents are kind of your parents by extension too, and and everything that like you know oh, yeah. the, the successes and failures that they go through. Like you feel for them, and you know that's that's the yeah. stuff I'm I'm definitely most interested. In. The behind the scenes, oh. like
0: and just seeing the footage of the. Of the now late, rest in peace, Gerald Williams, talking about his his best friend. Yeah, it was clear, like, yeah, you could you you could see him with him being interviewed. He's not doing well. Like he's probably yeah. like getting close to the end. But just seeing him maintain that positivity and just talking about his friends. I mean, I, I don't know, man. Like, what what do you want to see most for the from the rest of the series? Because like we're recording this Wednesday night episode episode two airs tomorrow night.
1: Oh, it is tomorrow. Okay, um... yeah.
0: nine p.m. on ESPN.
1: Oh man. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's anything specific that I want to see. Uh, I mean, like the, the baseball fan and student of the game in me once would love to hear more of the technical stuff, Sure. just like, like what he did to prepare himself mentally physically all that stuff because i i think that like going back to like the all-star game last night like how cool was that when you got to hear jose trevino and and nestor cortez worked, that was dope like mentally work their way through an at-bat yeah. like you know i would love to hear like his thoughts his approach in certain at-bats in certain situations like you know like what did he do that lead-off home run he hit in Uh, was it game five of the 2000 World Series?
0: Subway Series
1: was the, yeah, that was uh, the leadoff home run, I think. Yeah. Like,
0: it was was four or five.
1: Yeah. Uh, like, like, how, you know, it's not, you know, it's like, it's like, what was the game plan going into that? Like, like, were were you telling yourself, hey, we got to get on them early? I'm going to be aggressive here because we saw like Jeter swinging first pitch and going yard. Uh, so stuff like that would be really cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm like. Other than that, it's just like I would love to hear more of the personal side, like just I how def- he navigated that. I the definitely,
0: line. I want to hear the real story when it comes to a, to to A Rod. Yeah, because I, I, you were you were probably mildly aware of this just because you were so young. But there, I remember a story. I think it was Sports Illustrated about how Jeter, A Rod, and Garth, no more Garcia Parra, by extension, all three of them were so close and like such good mm-hmm. friends. That whenever like one guy's team was in the other city, they'd they'd stay in each other's apartments.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, well, I like, I remember growing up and them being the three mm-hmm. idols. Like, yeah, like, every, like I, you know, regardless of you know Nomar on the Sox or Alex on Seattle and then Texas, like those. Like for me as a kid, those were the three main yeah. guys. Everyone at my age was like hyper focused
0: on yeah Uh, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how a garcia power fits into that a-rod episode if at all Mm -hmm. uh but also you know a-rod's gonna have his side of the story jeter's gonna have his side and then hopefully randy wilkins who's already a phenomenal filmmaker will help guide the viewers towards that spot in the middle where the actual true story is
1: yeah yeah i think he yeah
0: because because you know a-rod look Love the guy as a player. The more I see him as a broadcaster, media guy, and I'm saying this as someone who's followed him on Instagram for years, will continue to
1: follow him on Instagram.
0: The man's narcissism knows no bounds.
1: Yeah. I think the issue with his narcissism is it's ever evolving. It was the narcissism as a player. He had his comeuppance. He took responsibility, and he did a very good job of rehabilitating his image. I thought after the whole, you know, suspension and and whatnot, yeah. When he first became a broadcaster, his insight was awesome. He was, you could tell he was very knowledgeable. I loved listening to him in the beginning, but now he realizes that he's really good at it, yeah. and it's become and insufferable. Yeah, he's gotten complacent almost. Yeah,
0: which yeah. And, and it's tough because like and you and. I'm a creative, you're a creative, Derek Jeter's a creative in his own way, same with Alex Rodriguez. You need to allow yourself a certain amount of narcissism. Yeah. If this is, is like, the path you're going to pursue in life. I mean, Bill Murray, uh, when talking about Chevy Chase and his time on Saturday Night Live and their fraught relationship, he said, like, when you get famous, you have exactly one year to be an asshole and get away with it. (laughs) he says you have one year to be an asshole because like, like that you, you have money for the first time in your life everyone knows who you are you have one year where you can enjoy it and and then from that point on it just if you don't like find a way to strike that balance that yeah. is very hard sometimes like it, it, it gets very tough then you're done you just yeah. are and a the he the problem was he he got good and at the same time became very famous very fast at a very young age and then came that record setting contract. He never really, you could say, he probably never really learned how to hold himself accountable. Yeah. Whereas Derek Jeter, his parents drilled in accountability and that tough work ethic from the get go.
1: Yeah, I mean, like A. Rod didn't have a father figure. Did uh, he not? No, his his dad like dipped out on him when he was young. Oh, and and and, and, he, and he attributes a lot of that to his issues um all right well at least he's aware of it yeah no well and that's the thing it's like a rod was one of my favorite players just I like his swing is one of the greatest swings of all time um yeah and i could watch it for days but yeah he has this weird self-awareness and he has stopped with the finger pointing and he takes the responsibility when he needs to but then there's just like yeah there's moments where the ego starts to come back out a little bit and it's like uh, it's a it's a weird balance and
0: and you have to assume that since he agreed to be interviewed for this documentary he and jeter probably patched things up at least to a certain degree where, yeah. they, where they they can i think now they can at least be in the same room with each other and like catch up i mean it's not it's not going to be like Posada who's always going over to Jeter's house and getting clonked in the head by Jeter's kids
1: yeah no yeah like I and I honestly think that they probably got to that point at the end of their playing days together yeah like like but yeah that that relationship what it used to be I think is definitely gone and will never be repaired because I think that's just how Derek is I remember reading stuff about that like he's he's a guy who's really big on loyalty and uh you know he's what, got what, his
0: the quote we had in the trip they had in the trailer like uh one-way loyalty is a loyalty it's stupidity
1: is uh I, I yeah it might be that i can't remember it, what it it's was
0: su- it's something it's something along those lines but we'll definitely see it uh but yeah like i'm real excited to see the rest of the series excited to see a-rod the tabloids, just all the tory years like, yeah like i like i've and also just we'll close on this because I, I hopefully want to run a last minute errand tonight. If I can, um, the 2009 world series, I'm really, I really want to see something about that just because I have thought that the team, specifically with how much money was spent was designed. Okay. We are going all in and we are going to win the world series this year. Just so Jeter and the guys have one last run at it. Anything we win after this while Jeter's still playing, that's a bonus. 2009 mm-hmm. though that this is a championship
1: year mm-hmm. yeah that'll be interesting to see how they play that off
0: yeah all right folks well thanks for catching this impromptu episode of bleacher creatures uh discussing the captain we'll be back next week to uh discuss the start of the second half maybe some trade deadline stuff and also more captain talk i'll probably hop on solo uh tomorrow night after episode two to give an instant reaction Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josh B E S N Y. And, um, oh crap. I always forget
1: yours. (laughs) Alec underscore Monte Calvo. There you go. All right. Uh, thanks for listening
0: folks. And uh, we'll see you next time.